Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. My name is Jonathan Siegley, and this is part two of the conversation between myself and Brian Ives from ESPN Stats and Info and Inside Carolina Shrell McMillan. Part one of this podcast aired last Friday, and this will be the conclusion of that conversation. So to pick up where we left off, Brian, we were discussing defenses, and you specifically were talking about the individual defense of the freshman post players, but I wanted to ask about the team defense, specifically about their defense on the wing. Who's been the more effective between Kenny and Theo? Because, again, I think if you're going off the eye test, it would be Kenny. But at the same time, Theo is kind of one of those sneaky good defenders. And especially given his just raw athleticism, I'd imagine that if it is Kenny, the the gap is probably not all that big. Yeah, they're they're definitely the two top guys on Carolina's perimeter defensive attack, if you will. I think that's also another reason why the, the big men have played fairly well because it's been more difficult for teams to get the ball down low because of Theo and Kenny. If you were just talking about a mano a mano, can you score on me? Kenny's, quite frankly, been the best perimeter defender on the team. When he's guarding opponents in man versus man, man-on-man defense, which is 97% of the time for North Carolina, his man is shooting just 32% from the field. Obviously, that's very low. Theo's man shooting 46% from the field in man, man defense. But keep in mind, Theo's guarding everybody from point guards to big men. So it's a completely different animal. And Theo, I think people would expect this, is very hit or miss. He's forcing the opponent to turn the ball over more than 20% of, of times when he's guarding his man. But he is giving up a high field goal percentage. So Theo's a little bit more hit or miss. While Kenny's the consistent sort of like, you're going to have a hard time scoring on me, sort of your Virginia type defender, if you will. So what I'm hearing is that Theo's just going to drive both Carolina fans and Roy Williams nuts all year. (laughs) Yeah, we've known that for about three years now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then to kind of shift gears again here, one to talk about Jaleek Felton, because he finally looks like the light has come on. Inside Carolina ran the article by Greg Barnes. He gave everyone a little bit of a heart attack because he started it with Jalik or Felton breaks, and it was Felton breaks <laughs> through. And like the first three posts on the message board were thinking that he had broken his foot <laughs> or some sort of bone. But that game against Western, yeah, Felton finally looks like he is comfortable in the offense. What are you seeing stats-wise from him, Brian? Like, has his play really elevated as of late here? Yeah. I mean, he's been solid all year. It's just a matter of, you know, earning that trust and earning that playing time. I think the narrative around Felton, fair or not, entering this season is, oh, he can be the one and done. He can be the guy. He's NBA ready or NBA material, I should say. And whether it's fair or not, the NBA is based a lot on the origin of the NBA offense is pick and roll. And Jaleek Felton has been, quite frankly, elite in the pick and roll this year. As far as points per play, which means how many times you run the play and how many points you score out of those, he's third best in all in the entire ACC in pick and roll points per play behind Patrick Jackson of Georgia Tech, who is one of their best players, and C.J. Walker of Florida State. So he's truly an elite player in terms of that sort of improvising, ball handling, decision-making he just got to cut down those turnovers a little bit, about 18% turnovers on those plays. But 
his performance on Wednesday was better than most freshman North Carolina point guards see so early in the season. So he had 15. That's more than Joel Berry or Kendall Marshall or Ty Lawson ever had in their freshman seasons before January. His uncle had 18 early on, but certainly that was for a different coach. And he had a lot more. Obviously, he was starting. He was running the show. And Marcus Page is 15 as well. So his numbers are as good, if not better, than most of these North Carolina freshmen early on. I think people were just, you know, wanted a little bit too much too early. Yeah, and I think Jalik is one of the keys for North Carolina to go far in March, like we talked about. He is, again, Roy Williams has said this, so it's not us throwing out platitudes that don't belong. He is the most talented basketball player on that team. Now, that doesn't mean he's the best basketball player in that team, because obviously he's got to learn. He's been through some growing pains after enrolling in August and then through practice and now through the first 10 games. But you can start to see what he does so well. And above all else, he has elite vision. And so Brian's talking about him on the pick and roll. He just sees things before they happen. It's that kind of anticipatory passing that I don't think North Carolina's really had since Kendall Marshall. I should say at the point guard position since Kendall Marshall, because Theo Pinson has some of that too. Jalik is not that dissimilar from Theo in how he handles the ball and some of the things he can do, but he's a better shooter. He's a better driver. He's an elite finisher. I think we haven't quite seen the elite finishing yet just because he's getting used to the rigors of college basketball. He's a guy who he'll tell you in high school, he coasted just because his talent level was that much higher than everyone else on the court at pretty much all times. And that's why his high school ranking was a bit deflated. That's why he was top 25 as opposed to top 10, because I think most people would tell you, there are some who would disagree, but I think the consensus is, is that he is one of the more talented players in the class of 2017. It's just that he didn't always bring it. So once his motor starts going and we're starting to see that now, you know, imagine bringing Jalik Felton and Cam Johnson off of the bench, you know, in a game in February. That's the kind of offensive firepower that really maybe one or two other teams in the country can can boast about as long as the, you know, the starting five continues to play that way and they can bring Jalik and Cam Johnson off the bench. That's pretty potent. And, and speaking of off the bench, there's been a lot of people who are listening to this likely frequent the message boards. And there was complete angst about Jalik's playing time and his and how many minutes he's getting. Well, I mean, he's he's gotten more minutes than any non-starter on the team. The five starters have the five most minutes, and then Jalik Felton has the six most minutes. So it's not like he's buried down on the bench with with Shea and Walker. He's getting his playing time. And I do think if if one thing kind of sums up the oh I, oh Jalik's great, no oh, he does this. It's maybe his, his if you look at his field goals, he's taken 36 shots this year. Half of them have been threes. Based on what Rel just said about Jalik and his elite finishing ability and his handles and his ability to get to the rim, I'm guessing people would prefer that he, you know, shoot more than half the shots, less than half the shots be threes. Now, he's hitting at a 40% clip, but knowing Jalik's ability to get to the rim, that would probably be the only thing, along with maybe turnovers, that I've seen as something that's maybe holding him back with the coach. Who's been playing more minutes between Playtech and Brandon Robinson? They're only separated by three minutes this year, but Robinson's averaging more minutes per game because Robinson missed two games this year. That's so, right. So he's averaging, Robinson's averaging 14 minutes per game and Playtech 11 minutes per game. But this team's very deep. Carolina's had some deep teams before, but this team is on, on the wing incredibly deep. And that's honestly a credit to Playtech, in my opinion, for earning some playing time on a team that quite frankly, nobody would probably expect him to get 11 minutes next year, sophomore year, much less 
10 games into his freshman year. And that might change when Cam Johnson comes back, but I think he's been a very pleasant surprise so far. Well, to go ahead and start wrapping this one up then, Brian, if you were trying to pick the crunch time five for the heels, so big time important game, you know, with real stakes on the line here, who are the five that Carolina should be going to in crunch time according to what the stats are saying right now? I mean, this is a good question. Now, if I was coach, <laughs> I might go – it depends on if we're on offense or defense. If we're on offense, the four you know you have to have are May, Barry, Pinson, and Williams. There's no question. I don't think anybody would leave any of those five out. The fifth will always be a question. I think it's very matchup dependent. I think right now, if you're going against a more athletic team, you might look at a Jalik Felton as your fifth. Uh, he's been very reluctant to play Felton and Joel Barry together. I'm not really sure if they even have. We can always ask our friend Adrian Atkinson if they have. But that would be a five that would be very tough to defend because they can all score in different ways. Four of them are good three-point shooters, and Theo can – you have to guard him. I know he's 221, but you're not going to sit in the paint and pack it in because he'll just pass someone next to him for an open three. That would probably be my five, I think, with Barry, Felton, Williams, Pinson, and May. And then hope, hope to goodness you make the shot and don't have to play defense. So going small ball, I'd, I'd imagine rebounding might also be a little bit of an issue there. Yeah. Rel, what about you? If Same thing. If you were picking your crunch time five, who are you going with? That is another great question, as Brian said. So the core four, I would stay with Luke May. I, I'm trying to get that to catch on the core four. <laughs> <laughs> Luke May, Kenny Williams, Joel Berry, and Theo Pinson. And then, again, not to steal Brian's answer, but a lot of the fifth would depend on a lot of the situation. So is North Carolina up? Is North Carolina down? Are they on the road? Are they at home? I would need to answer those questions before I give you the fifth. But I think what will happen throughout the season is that you'll see a closing lineup when North Carolina's in the lead that will have either those four, will have those four with either Cam Johnson or Julie Felt. That's if North Carolina's in the lead. So kind of a, not a four corners offense, but an offense where everyone can handle the ball a little bit, where everyone can attack the rim and pretty much everyone can shoot. I think if, you know, it's like a, just a normal game, a tie game or something or a close game, then I think you'll see a conventional lineup with the core four and probably a big, whether it's Manley or Brooks. If they're behind, then I think you might see one that has more offensive firepower where you have maybe Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, Jaleek Felton, Joel Berry, and Luke May, where there's five shooters. You can do all kinds of crazy mad scientist stuff on the offensive end. You know, it, it, was, it's, it would hurt you on the defensive end, but that's kind of how I see it is the four are set no matter what. And then the fifth will be dependent on the matchup and the circumstance. All right, start the hashtag core four. <laughs> but it, I'll be, wasn't, I, wasn't, wasn't that the Olympic team's nickname? You can't just steal that. Rel. That's probably it? trademarked by NBC. Oh, was it? I didn't realize that. <laughs> Maybe it was in my subconscious somewhere. I have one, I have one for y'all before we leave. And uh-huh. you know, this is just this is straight sports talk radio, like who's on your Mount Rushmore type stuff. So Carolina's down to... They're on the road. They're going to go for the win. So Roy Williams has decided he's going to go for the win. Do you have Joel Berry or Luke May take the shot to win the game? Fine. You're the guest. Wow. You go first. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go all nerd on you. I'm going to have Theo Pinson's going to have the ball. Okay. So uh, Theo Pinson's going to have the ball. He makes things happen. And I, man, I'm, I still got to go Barry. May made the probably second biggest shot in Carolina basketball history, but Barry makes Barry's threes aren't always conventional. You know, he can make it from six feet beyond the line. He can make it with a hand in the space. So I think he's more of a tough shot maker, if you will. 
So I want the ball in Theo's hands to make a play, but I want the last person to touch the ball to be Joel Berry. John? See, Joel Berry was the emotional pick. Like, as soon as you said it, I was like, it's got to be Joel. But then when I started thinking about it, I think I want Luke. Because if you've got Theo handling the ball, chances are Roy will be able to scheme up an open shot. Maybe a slightly contested shot, but I think it's one where Theo can get somebody into space where they would at least have a look. And in that situation, I think this season, I trust Luke May hitting a three over Joel. Now, if Joel had the ball in his hands and it was take a three, then yeah, you want him because, as Brian said, he just has some magic that he can pull out and splash that. But I think if it's a situation where Carolina can actually run a bit of offense, I'm going Luke May this season. And, and meanwhile, you know what's going to happen in that scenario? Joel Berry's going to miss a contested three. Kenny Williams will be wide open in the corner. And, and everyone's going to yell, why didn't your 55% three-point shooter get the shot? So well, we know I, how that ends. Well, you know, Rel, Rel said between May and, and Barry, he, he didn't give us the option. I, mean, I, I told you it was a straight sports talk radio question. <laughs> I, I, I do, on a serious note, I do think the good thing for North Carolina is in, in that situation, I think North Carolina will be fine with four different people taking the shot. Well, I should say, I think North Carolina will be fine with three different people taking the shot. I think in a end of game situation, Roy Williams will be fine with Kenny Williams, with Luke May, or with Joel Barry, you know, taking a game winning three or a game tying three. So that is something that North Carolina, frankly, hasn't had consistently over the years they haven't had three guys who can stress the floor at the same time not not since 2009 when right. uh, green ellington and lawson all shot better than 40 percent from three exactly so you know it's it's rare that they have it and uh, that's why when north carolina entered the season the talk was okay they're not going to be you know like it was in 2010 but there's no way this team can do some of the things that last year's team did but the more you start looking at how they're playing how they're built you know they do have the potential to make it to the final four I think so as well, and that sounds crazy to say, but, I mean, it's a long season. We'll see how these guys develop and and go from there. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on again. For those who do want to follow you on the social media and everywhere, how can they get in contact? They can go to Twitter.com on the Webernet. I'm at AwayToWorthy on Twitter.com. And feel free to check out the ESPN Stats and Info blog during the college basketball season. There'll be plenty of stuff on all sorts of teams, including one down the road. But lots of good stuff there as well. And we'll talk more about ACC play as the season progresses. Rel, thanks to you again, man, for coming on. And hopefully this will be the first of many that we can do with this kind of stats-based podcast. Yeah, appreciate it. It was good having you, Brian. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.